Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. to yet another version of Bill Roden on Sports here in Harlem, USA, high above the fray uh, in Harlem, USA. It's a very special place. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, Harlem, USA, an undisclosed location. For now. For now. Well, for now, I think we, we're debating about whether to let people know, <laughs> but you don't know Horde, particularly with gentrification, man, next thing you know, how much you want for this place? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, here with uh, my co-host and guest, Great Jamal Murphy, Jamal. Of course, great to be here. Hey, uh, and um, have a, a, a really special uh, guest. As you listen to the podcast, um, you'll hear me say special guest. But this is really a, a pleasure, man. Uh, our guest today is the great Solomon Wilcox, uh, broadcaster, extraordinaire, intellectual, uh, media intellectual. Um, his official thing. I mean, uh, Sol- Solomon is the um, is an analyst. Uh, he's a um, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster with CBS Sports Network and Sirius XM. I hear him a lot, Sirius XM, and I always look forward to hearing. You know, like, so anyway, Solomon Wilcott, <laughs> welcome. Well, I appreciate before, it. Before, before I heap praise yeah, on well, you, well, thank you very much. I appreciate you even having me here today with you. Oh no, man! But t- here's the thing, man. There's certain people. Uh, I've been in this business since, like, for pay since 1973, uh, and you know we're constantly monitoring black folks in the industry. Who's for us? Who's <laughs> kind of selling out? Who's kind of neutral? But there's certain people invariably who I always trust. I trust the perspective, whether I agree. To, I just because at the end of the day, this brother is a real brother, and he's coming from a place where. It's honest and sincere, and we've had a lot of conversations over here about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say, man, you know, whenever I hear you, and particularly if it's going to be an issue, I will focus in, hone in, because I know that whatever you say is black folks first. No matter whether I agree, disagree, but it's about black folks first, and I trust you with it. And uh, there are not that many guys, man, because you know, in our industry, man, cats can get. Before they know it, man, they get seduced, and you say, "Man, how the fuck he come they, up with that?" You say they're all over the place. All, all over the place. It always comes. We look at the perspective. It all when they where they end up is where they where the where the establishment wants them to end up. No matter what they say, mm-hmm. they end up in the status quo. But man, so I've always this is the first time we've ever done anything professional together. So I want to say thank you. But I always want to let you know how much I I admire you, your professionalism, your perspective. And uh, your blackness. Well, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I think what we're speaking to also is is what you call integrity right. um, in one's professionalism and approach to to work. Um, uh, the great Dr. Miles at the University of Colorado, where I went to school, um, he always taught us to understand where we come from, mm. who we are, what is our purpose in life. And what do we do with our platform? Mm. And to understand who we come from in and, and terms of what do we represent, I think is real critical in terms of establishing a foundation for perspective. Mm. And I think we can love all people. And I, right, I know you've right. always done that. You have friends 
um, and causes that you've represent that really speaks to greater unity. Mm. Um, and that's what we're about. Um, it's what I've always been about. It's what my parents have always taught me. Um, but I think we can always love who we are, right. appreciate where we've come from and what we've overcome and still be inclusive in everything that we do. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of times people, you know, and, and this is not why we're here, because we're here. Um, you know, uh, uh, Solomon, you're the uh, ambassador uh, for something called Huddle Up for New Alzheimer's. Oh, for New Alzheimer's treatments, absolutely. Treatment, which I think is really, really important, and they couldn't have uh, picked a, a, uh, a better ambassador. And I, wanted, I want you to kind of tell us um, what it is and, and all that stuff. Before we do that, though, I want to take care. I mean, people, you know, it's football season, man. So That's people right. are kind of like, right. you know, frothy, man. We didn't <laughs> we have to sit through, We didn't <laughs> have to sit through the NBA, which is fine. That's exciting. But now the baseball thing is okay, man. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, when, you're looking at the white winners. This, you know, you know? <laughs> football is king. We know that. Oh, football is king. There's That's no right. question about That's it. Right. So we're going to talk a lot about that, and I want to talk, you know, but a couple things. I, I before I forget, speaking of all, <laughs> before I forget. Um, well, the point I wanted to make about this idea of loving everybody, you know, the thing is, you could be black and you could have tons of friends. I mean, you could love a lot of, you, could, you, you may not even know any other black, but you could still love yourself, yes. love the the history of your people, yes. uh, what it took to get you to this particular moment in time, which was, if you the deeper you study our history, the more it's almost unbelievable. It's almost like... You know, I mean, you, who, you couldn't even make this kind of stuff up. But it's all about people helping each other to get to this point of survival. So to your point, you can love everybody, but I think you got to be committed. You got to do your role to help us move the ball there, forward. There, well, there's no doubt that if uh, any man, if he truly has love for community, doesn't, doesn't it start at home? Yeah. So you start at home in terms of love, development, growth, and then it extends to your community. Then it extends to even a greater community. Um, and then it becomes global. Right. Um, I think if you look at every great leader, whether it was um, Martin Luther King, whether it was Gandhi, whomever, it, start, it started at home first. Right. And then it starts with community. And then it goes global. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, then the second thing I want to get before we get into your role uh, with, um, with Huddle Up, we're going to talk about Colin Ka uh, Kaepernick later uh, but I before I forget it I just want to get your quick your quick take on it you played in the league for six years mm -hmm. you played with let's see Cincinnati Minnesota and Minnesota, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh yeah so, mm -hmm. so in other words I say that because you're not making this up you're not a Pharisee I mean, you, <laughs> you stood on the sideline you stood yeah. with guys doing different things just quick take uh, what, what's your what's your take on uh, on, on uh, Kaepernick you know at first of all when I looked at it I know a lot of people were really taking shots at him and really going hard in on them. Um, at, at the end of the day, what I do is I look back and I say, first of all, what is the purpose of doing something? And I think he has a good and just cause in terms of his commitment and his passion of understanding a lot of people who are suffering in various communities and in the black community uh, when it comes to law enforcement. He is aware. Um, he could easily be blind and, and run off with his millions and not care about anyone. Most um, and so... But at the end of the day, where I stand is understanding that the national anthem, what for me what it represents is many of those people who have sacrificed and given of their lives, made the ultimate sacrifice, so that we could have a right to protest right. under the right. law. Right. Um, and that's what it means to be American. 
that people, we get to disagree with one another, that people get to protest, people get to do a lot of different things, but it's, our, it's the freedom that other people fought for that gives us uh, the right to be able to disagree, to be able to not stand up if we want. And so I think, first of all, we have to respect his right to do so. Right. But also I think we should always, when the, when the national anthem is being played, where my heart and my mind goes to, are those people who sacrifice their lives so that we can enjoy these great freedoms to debate some real critical issues. And so for me, it starts with that. So I don't have a problem every time I'm standing in the broadcast booth and that national anthem is being played, I'm standing up. Right. I remember watching, real quickly, Chris Paul, LeBron James, they were all at the ESPYs and they mm -hmm. stood up for something that was very important. I thought it was very appropriate. I thought it was a great form. Uh, for what they wanted to do. But you and I both know no matter what you do, no matter the statements, the protests, whatever, at the end of the day, it's got to be effective. Right. And so I think that really, when you talk about time and place, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, it's got to be effective. And so I would, and we can talk about this a little bit more, right. um, Colin Kaepernick, what he believes in, in terms of the cause, I think is wonderfully appropriate. Um, being that it is a team sport, and you're hijacking a team moment, okay, right. um, might want to choose maybe another time and place where he can be more effective in helping and furthering that cause. Right. But it, it, seemed, it seemed to be somewhat, you know, pretty effective to me because, we, you know, we're talking we're about talking it. about Everybody's it. talking about it. But, real, but real, real quick, Jamal, what are we talking We're talking about whether or not we support what he did or, or if we like what he did. Right. But we really are not talking about – what he stood the up issue. for. The issue. So we're not talking about the, the that, greater, that, the that greater issue. That is four, 400 years old, though. Yeah, there's I no mean, doubt. I mean, so, yeah. so you know, yeah. and, and, and just like in 60, again, we'll talk about this later, mm -hmm. but in, in uh, 1968, I mean, I was like 18 years old, uh, and Tommy Smith, John Carlos, who two of the baddest sprinters in the country, you know, uh, Tommy Smith won the gold medal uh, in the quarter mile. John Carlos won the, uh, the uh, bronze. And they, you know, they raised their fists on the on stand. We're talking about that 40 years later. But they got killed for it. And the point is. They th suffered big time. They su but there is no right time for protest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to be unpopular. Yeah. If he, if he would have done it, if he would have had a team meeting or done it during a press conference or, or said, we're going to meet at the local boys club. And I'm going to tell go. you my grievances to people. Mm -hmm. You know what? Mostly we ain't coming because we got to come. You know? So. And, and we really should get this when we get to the football section of, the, of there this There you thing. go. But there is no right time for protest. But there is a correct time. The thing you're involved with, man, you're at the you're at sort of the epicenter of of one of the major issues, not just in football but in contemporary society, which mm, is this right. dreadful disease of Alzheimer. That's right. And so I just want you to you're you're the uh, ambassador for Huddle Up for new Alzheimer's treatment uh, the kickoff. Uh, which is included in memory screening, alumni. So I just want to – you started it at the Super Bowl. Yeah, last at Super Bowl 50 in San Francisco. Yeah. So just tell us what, what it is, why you got involved uh, with this, what your role is and what you guys hope – speaking of being effective, what you want to accomplish. Yeah, what we like to accomplish is really to help um, people to understand that, um, for instance, all the diseases that uh, have afflicted mankind – and let's be more specific, the Alzheimer's disease, which some 5 million Americans 
are suffering from this dreaded disease. Um, roughly 46 million people globally mm. around the world. This disease is spreading. It's growing. By the year 2050, that number is expected to triple mm. globally. Um, I think it's just an incredible number. So we have to do something about it. Now, uh, I kind of felt like if there was an opportunity to help, which was presented to me, and um, I'm 51 years old, um, hopefully Alzheimer's isn't in my future, but just by looking at the numbers, uh, maybe myself, family member, close friend, someone's doing battle with this mm -hmm. disease. But if I have an opportunity to help, and someday down the road, here I am having to deal with it more directly, and I could not sleep. I couldn't live with myself knowing mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to help and didn't step up. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to step up and see what is it that I could do and how can I use my presence in my place um, to bring about a greater solution. And so the real solution is, and that's why we created the campaign, Huddle Up for New Alzheimer's Treatment Bill, which is really to bring about greater awareness for people in society to participate in clinical trials. Mm. As you well know, given the history of clinical trials, a lot of people have a lot of fears and phobias and, and would back off. Well, no drug that has been approved by the FDA that you and I may use today for any illness that may inflict us, um, there are treatments for it. Well, all of them had to go through some kind of FDA approval process, which means that someone had to enroll into a, clin a clinical trial, and then it had to go through those trials, found to be safe and effective, and now we have those treatments today for healing purposes. So someone stood up in, in way of leadership to be able to take on that role. And that's what Huddle Up for New Alzheimer's treatments are about. Um, is about really helping people to understand how they can participate in clinical trials and the need and the importance for participating in those trials to bring about new treatments. So, so, so if, well, it's interesting, you, you off mic, you were um, saying that although you launched this at the Super Bowl, people lumped this whole thing in with concussions and football, and they're two completely different things, and it's such a volatile, highly political thing, but there's Alzheimer's, and then there's concussion thing, which may or may not lead into dementia. Because dementia. Mm -hmm. we were saying there, there, there are a lot of people who never made a tackle. There you go. Who never In their right, lives, right. who, who uh, you know, have, have developing Alzheimer's. Right? Yeah. So you you have to make this distinction. You have to. I, I think there, there, we. This is about education and about bringing some clarity and understanding um, to what uh, what's going on here. Um, we talked about the five million Americans who suffer from Alzheimer's. Roughly more than half of those um, are women who never participated in a collision sport like football. Right. And so we do know that Alzheimer's is not uh, direct. Um, uh, link to, you know, just because I played football, I'm going to get Alzheimer's. Now, con having repeated concussion syndromes can lead to Alzheimer's. It can lead to dementia. It can lead to a lot of other uh, issues. But the two really are separate when you think about more than half of the people who have been inflicted with this disease are women. And so we can't just start with a concussion conversation if we're really going to get uh, to the solution of helping people um, with this dreaded disease. Uh, imagine uh, yourself to still have all your physical abilities, mm. okay? You still can move and your great heart, mm. great lungs, you're healthy, but yet you lose the, your cognitive health 
and you can't remember things. Mm. And so now they're not going to let you cook for yourself. Mm. They're going to take away your driver's license and not oh. allow you to drive. You lose your independence. Mm. And so now a caregiver, a family member, someone close to you has to come in and monitor you 24 hours a day. Okay, mm. because no one's going to trust you to get where you're going and remember what you need to do, whether it's taking your medicine, to put your clothes on, to feed yourself. Some of the things uh, that are lost as Alzheimer's begins to take over uh, one's life. And so um, it, it is really critical because we talked about the five million Americans who suffer from Alzheimer's. They all have a caregiver. So really it affects more than the five million. You can double that because there's a caregiver has to give up work, right. give up their lives to really take care of a loved one. And that's how much it has a real drain on our economy. And um, and so we want to do is everything we can to help push across these new treatments across the goal line that they would be made available for the people who need it. And not to mention the family. The entire family is no question affected right. Absolutely. in profound ways. Right. That's right. right, right. And, and I think what you're trying to do, I, I think where it gets confusing, because the whole thing with concussions is so, is, is and we'll get to this later, but what you want to do in the environment in which you played, your you had a lot of ball players. So, well, right. we we want to bring a lot of we want to get a lot of volunteers. And my I'm a journalist, so mm -hmm. I would get a lot of people in journalism to do the test. Somebody might be a chemist. You are a former football player. So, okay, well, in my particular circle, I'd like to get a lot of former players to do this, because I guess there could be a link between concussions and Alzheimer, uh, Alzheimer's. Um, that's not why you're doing this, but there could be a link, right? So, so it's a really tricky kind of thing, but you just basically want former football players because that's the environment from which you come. You want Absolutely. to get players from, right? And also, Bill, um, as you well know, if, if, when athletes get involved with a cause, um, the general population tends to follow. Right. So we wanted to bring with it a greater awareness for the need for people to understand that it is important to participate in clinical trials. Now, it makes sense for former athletes in a couple of ways, one of which is that we have the notoriety. Uh, we're going to unify our purpose in terms of bringing awareness to the issue, but we also get to test our own cognitive health. We've held memory screenings all around the country, beginning – um, in San Francisco at Super Bowl 50, where we had a lot of former players come to the screening. They get education about Alzheimer's. The doctors give them um, a test um, to test their cognitive health. And obviously, the players, you know, did pretty good. There was no one who was found to be suffering from Alzheimer's. But what it also did, it helped them to establish a baseline for their cognitive health. Right. So as they get older, they would take the test annually each year and if they were to see any slippage they could begin to um, become aware of what's going on with their cognitive health begin to seek treatments and then they could become more proactive in staving off the onset of this disease now we did this in san francisco we held memory screenings in los angeles cincinnati in orlando um, in toronto as well and so we've held it in several several cities around the country where we had former nfl players um, act as ambassadors to drive coverage and drive awareness and information 
in their own local communities. And we've seen a great high number of participation where we're able to get the word out, we're able to educate, and we're able to get people enrolled in the clinical trial that we need to be able to push these new treatments across the goal line. So how does the average person go about uh, getting getting a screening right. for themselves right. or their family members. Well, we we're having um, we're having screenings in various cities around the country, and we'll be able to give you a list of those cities um, where yeah, we're do. having where we're having the screenings. Um, and then when you come to the screening, you'll have uh, information for the doctors in those specific cities because those doctors are part of a greater study. It's called the mindset study. And those mm. doctors are enrolled to participate in the clinical trial to, to bring their patients in. And so that's the process. We start with the, um, with the screening, and then obviously we connect you with the doctors in those local communities. It's not in every city around the country, but it's in several cities. Um, and so we'll make sure you have a list of some of those yeah. cities, and some of them I've already named. Because we're saying, I mean, as I was hearing you speak, what happens, I'm listening to this, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I want to do it like next week. How do I do it if if I'm, you know, Bill Roden or Jamal or Kevin, our sound guy over here. Kevin, how are you? But he's too young. See, this Kevin, what are you, 25 <laughs> or something? 26. So this is, this is completely irrelevant. To Ke- However, you may listen to it and say, you know what, I would like to, so how will we do it? How, how do we, if, if if I listen to this and I want to say I want to make an appointment to be on the the, the, the study, um, you know, we want to figure out how can we um, do this. Because that's, that's basically what you want people to do, right? You just want people to... Um, to b- become proactive, participate, right. and, you know, know the steps to take for you, right. for yourself or a family member, right. really. Because right. like we were saying, every single person probably in this room right. uh, is... Uh, is David over here? Hey, David, we haven't brought you to the. Hey, David, David, come on over to the share. Share. We, we we're gonna we're gonna set up. A, no, it's okay because we. Okay. I just. Okay. We, this right. is one way that you can go about finding out right. exactly um, what you can do if you have any concerns. Uh, there is a global study that's being done, and it's called the Mindset Study. So you can go to the website at www.alzheimer'sglobalstudy.com www.alzheimersglobalstudy.com. So that's where you can go. You'll be able to access all the information. You'll know what cities uh, that the doctors are participating in the study. Okay. Um, and you can actually locate all the information on that website as to where you can go. Oh, good. Very good. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Um, let, let's. Let, we're we're going to take a real quick break. But when I come back, I do want to stay in the arena because um, I've got a lot of friends you know, who played in the league. Um, I've been playing the game since I was, you know, Pop Warner, and, and I, you know, got off the train in college. You kept on the train for like six years. Some people in the train for 13, some right. 18. And I think that and we could talk, everybody who's been in, on the train, given everything we know about the sport, has got to start reflecting yes. and like saying, well, so what I want to ask you when we come back is, a, what do you what do you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started playing? And then let's just talk about the wear and tear of the game itself. I mean, we all love the game. I remember here we just love the game, and that's kind of like one of these two dilemmas. We love the game, but we also know, you know. Thing. So when we come back, we're going to get a little more uh, uh, inside the arena and talk about how can we continue to love it and, and, and digest it, but still be kind of looking at it. At a, at a broader view, but Absolutely. we'll be back. My my guest is a great Salman uh, Wilcott. He's a uh, uh, an award winning 
broadcaster for CBS and for Sirius XM, and he's the ambassador of Huddle Up for New Alzheimer's Treatment. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. Hello, everybody. We're back. Bill Roden on sports. Jamal Murphy, what's happening? I'm good. All right. Uh, we're back with uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Solomon Wilcott. He's the ambassador to Huddle Up for a New Alzheimer Treatment. And um, he's also a, an award-winning broadcaster, football analyst for CBS Sports and for uh, Sirius XM. I, Love hearing you on. Either way, man. Oh, I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, no, really, Bill. Man, you, and actually, also what I also love what you do, man. Aside just the you know lift every voice and sing, though, <laughs> but but also just your analysis right. is always just so right on, man. Just right. your. And where's your birthday, by the way? October 9th. <laughs> October 9th. What's well, that? What is that? Well, I don't know. Full-fledged <laughs> Libra. Full-fledged Libra. No, actually, yeah. actually, my daughter is October 4th. Okay, okay. Uh, Good dad, people, right? My dad, yeah. my dad was Libra. Oh, Libra's are great people. That's right. Ozier is a Libra. Okay. <laughs> no, but but definitely as a broadcaster, when I hear, you know, I've never met you before. This is the first time. Mm-hmm. But when I hear your voice on a game, I know I'm getting a straight-up professional right. analyst, knows what they're talking about and responsible on the air. Like, you just know oh, I what you're in for. That. Right, I right, appreciate right. that. I appreciate it. And I think, you know, when you've been doing it for a long time, but the, you start out just really wanting to help people to understand the game a little bit better. But you also have to have a healthy amount of respect for the game. I respect right. all the people, the coaches, the players, the, the hard work and the commitment that goes into it. You know, these guys don't just show up on Sunday and <laughs> right. say, okay, let's just let's put on a show. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but we want to help our viewers to understand um, the why. You yeah. can see for yourself when you're watching a game the what, but you need to know why would this play was successful or maybe right. why the defense didn't succeed or why they failed on this specific play. We don't try to single anyone out, but sometimes when you have to um, shed light on, on, on why <laughs> things happen, it, it is what it is, absolutely. <laughs> right. I, know, I know you're not trying to do it, but right. it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. 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 Right. You remember, you remember a, a guy named uh, Kitty Burrow? Absolutely. Yes, yes. So I was partially responsible for him being a first-round draft pick. I played, I played at Morgan, okay, Morgan State. yeah, yeah. And so I started, my first year as a starter was as my sophomore year at Morgan. It was it was like a disaster. It was like <laughs> I'm playing the right corner. It was, and Mark, you remember Mark Washington? Mark, yeah, Mark absolutely. Washington, who yeah. who was a left corner, but he he's one of my best friends. He was a senior, and he was a left corner. Okay, and so but you know Mark, we played in high school together. But so by that time, '69, he was a senior. Chester Ray Chester was on Ray, that team. Raymond right? Chester, man, yeah. So but meanwhile, so at the end of the year, we're playing the Astrodome. So I've been having this like awful season. My first year starting. And the first game we played was right here down the street at Yankee Stadium. We played Grambling. And I'm like, oh, man, it was just – it was just, so one, of, one of my coaches said, you know, Bill – no, he's a rodent. You've given them more points in one season than our entire defense gave them <laughs> last year. No, that kind of shit. All by yeah, yourself. All by myself, single-handedly. <laughs> but anyway, so we're going into the Astrodome to play Texas Southern. They got Dr. David Mays, who's a quarterback – 
Uh, they had Nate. I mean, they just were, were loaded. So I'm like, as we're going down there, I'm like, look at their press guide, and they here double zero Kenny Burrow, Kenny Burrow. on like on like the, the the cover of the thing, and that's the guy I'm guarding. And so we had Brute, Brute, who was our scout, and you know back HBCU, we he said, oh the boy, and he wore white shoes. Yeah. Oh the boy is no good. He wears white shoes. That kind of shit. So I'm like looking at the damn Brute. He looks pretty good to me. He looks so, pretty good. So of course. He, he scored. He beat me for three touchdowns that game. Oh, okay. At one point, I get it. I get it. Uh, it was awful. <laughs> but at one point, he ran a pattern, and he dropped it. And so he grabbed the ball, came over to me, and said, "I dropped that, just to let me know." Just to let you know, it wasn't about you. It wasn't you. me. I had no role in that <laughs> it at all. Not about you. Not at all. But you know, so I, I bring it up because you know when everybody's talking about Richard Sherman and talking trash as yeah. a defensive back, I said, "Listen, man, fuck that," because they have no mercy on us. I have no mercy on them. <laughs> that is so right? true. That is so I, true. It's all good because I know that when, I, when you when you scorch me, you're going to be gonna, dancing. They're going to let you know about so it. So right. you do, I'm going to let you know. That's right. So this is like That's right. Richard, you it, know. It, it's amazing personalities come into play. Uh, you know, Darrell Reeves is not a big talker. Right. But he'll shut you down. Now, Deion Sanders was a big talker. Right. Right. He was going to let you know that he shut you down. Uh, another receiver that was a great receiver, I can name you two of the guys, the most preeminent receivers during the time I was in the league. Um, one was Steve Largent. Mm -hmm. The other was Jerry Rice. Mm -hmm. Neither one of those guys were trash talkers. Right. They were not the Terrell Owens or Chad Johnsons right. or Des Bryant of the world. They were just quiet killers, man. <laughs> you know, right. they, they were that quiet storm, you know. When they blew through town, they took everything with them. And they, they just kind of left you scratching your head. That, but they were great but they, they were not big talkers. So we, we've seen on both sides of the ball um, it being done both ways. There's who, no doubt. Who were the big trash talkers in your day, wide receiver-wise? Webster Slaughter. Uh -huh. uh, you know, he was, he was a big-time trash talker. Uh, you know, like Sterling Sharp was a guy who talked trash, but he talked he – talk, he loved you. You know, he he didn't want to he didn't want to wake up that sleeping child. He was like, "It's okay, man. You can do better. You can do better." You know? Which is probably the worst of all. You can do better. Don't worry about it. I know you're gonna get better for the game over. You know? And uh, you know, after the game, he pats you on the back. Well, next week you you gonna get him next week though. <laughs> he was great. There's a guy. Um, there's a guy, Daryl Johnson. Who uh, is defense? But he played at Morgan, and 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 the the year I was learning how to play, I, I went to Morgan as a wide receiver in spring practice. So anyway, but Darrell was you know came back. He played for the Patriots, and he was talking about uh, uh, playing as Lance Allworth, mm -hmm. and, and he's a Lance kind of talked a little bit of trash too. But he was <laughs> saying that for this particular game, he said he must, he must have got the better of Allworth, and he said something to him. I remember he said, uh, you know, at the very end of the game, he said. Uh, I always was pissed because Daryl been talking trash to him all game, and so uh, I always said, "I said I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna see you down San Diego." Daryl said, "Yeah, I'll be there. Will you?" Ooh, but like the point it. is, his last. Oh, I mean, of course yeah, I'm gonna be there. Of course, last gonna be there. What it, what it taught me is that there has, there's no logic to the trash talking no, at right. all. Oh, there's no. absolutely no oh, logic no. Right. to it all. You just get in your licks absolutely. that moment, that day, That's right. and it's not connected. It, 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 it don't even have to be connected to reality, right. <laughs> you know, because Lance Allworth, I mean, he's one of the greatest the game has ever seen, you right. know, so yeah, you know he's going to be there. I, I just find it hard to believe that Bambi 
was a trash talker. Because well, <laughs> that was his nickname, yeah, right? Bam, Bambi. Oh, oh, Bambi, man. That's what we're that boy, what, what Richard Pryor dude. say about uh, Jerry West? He said, "Man, he be making ends look ridiculous." No, no, <laughs> because he said, "Daryl said, man." He, I said, "Well, man, could he jump?" He said, "Man," he said, "I went up to deflect something, and I looked up, and I saw like size 13 <laughs> on the bottom of his shoe. On the bottom of his shoe. <laughs> you know, no, Lance Alls was terrible. I mean, a lot of people just remember he ended up with Dallas. And they, they, right. they remember that part, but they don't remember this cat man. Who San was Diego, like, oh, yeah, with the Chargers. Oh, yeah. man, it was just yeah. terrible. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, but, but now you would play mostly corner, mostly safety. I played uh, corner during my first year in the league, and then everything else was at the safety position. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that later, okay. about your adventures in safety okay. and corner. But, but, but before we left, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the rigors of the game. It's a tough game. It's a hard yeah. game, and there's absolutely nothing I don't think you could do to make the game. I mean, I guess you kind of, but the essence of the game is collision. That's why people love it. That's why it's the, that's why it's the game. But as you, when you look back, I asked you, what do you know now that you wish you would have known your first couple of years in the league about safety, about health, about you know what you could have done, maybe to 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 you know, made the game safer, made your own thing safe. So you seem to have gotten through it without a yeah, lot of – Yeah, I came through it because, you know, six years, it was sort of like I had to make a decision. Um, did I want to go on with the other areas of my life or did I really want to put everything on the line? Mm -hmm. Did I really want to put it all on the line for this game called football? I, you got to understand, Bill, I saw players who did that and it didn't always end so well for them. Uh, they put it all online, um, and in those days, we didn't have all the programs mm. that the league has today. You know, we didn't have a league-sanctioned internship programs. We didn't have league-sanctioned educational, continuing educational programs um, to help you learn how to invest your money. To help you, you had to do all of those things on your own. And so, in pursuing all of a lot of those things, which I tried to make sure I had led a life that was well-balanced, why I loved football. I couldn't make football my everything. That, that was just – that was clear that uh, you could put a lot into it, but you can't put everything into right. it. Right. Now, so I think knowing what I know today is that I could have given more to it and still been okay. Oh, <laughs> but, really? I, but I was one of those guys, you got to understand, as a rookie in 1987 when I came into the league, uh, made the team as an eighth-round pick. You know, back then there was no free agency, so you had to beat out a true veteran. Right. If you were a rookie, particularly as an eighth-round pick, to stick, you had to come in doing very well. You had to be balling. And so to be able to win that job, and then two weeks later, there was an NFL strike, and mm, I'm out of a job. Right. That's right. So right then and there, I knew <laughs> right. not to trust it. <laughs> I, I was like, this, this, this. you know, they, right. when they say NFL is an acronym, which stands, uh, it means not for long. Right. That's right. I understood that all too well. So I, I rem immediately saying, you know what? I need to begin to find what am I going to do next? And I don't need to stick around and wait for the league to tell me your time is up. I need to develop an exit strategy. Right. So I was that kind of guy. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't go and say I'm going to play ten years. I'm going to stick around as long as I can. I was one of the guys who said I'm going to play until I find something else, and that's oh, wow. what I did. And that's what I did. Now, knowing what I know today, that I could have still taken care of a lot of those things and still continued to play uh, a longer period of time because. 
you you now know that you can't go back and play again. Right. You know, right. you can't, you, it's over. Right. It's over. You, you, don't over. Get a, you don't get a do-over. That's right. When it's over. Somebody told Brett Favre that they told him when he was just deciding whether to retire or not, they just remember that there will probably not be, you will probably not be as happy in terms of being grat, you know, gratified after you've died than you are now. So make sure that when you walk away. You got everything out of it. Right, that you got everything and, and out of it. And that is, that's a really good piece of advice to give the players. Let me ask you this. What, um, you, you, you played at the University of Colorado. Now, you're from Los Angeles. Yeah, I grew up in, in Compton, California. I don't know that many, bro. Oh, from Compton. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. a whole other podcast there, brother. I, I, I wish, up which, in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, which Compton did you grow up? There are all kinds of Comptons now. Yeah. Right? Is, are like, there? Trust huh? me. It was there, are, there are different types. Of, or is there's it just only one. one. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. It's like, if I told you, there's different kind of Harlem, you know. Well, there now. are. Now. There are. There's a Spanish Harlem, I guess. Well, now there's gentrified. There are all kinds of Harlem. Oh, yes, I grew up in Harlem. Yeah, not Compton, no. Yeah. There's, only, there's only one Compton. Oh, yeah. wow. So oh, you grew yeah. up in Compton. Mm -hmm. Grew up in Compton. Um, I went to University of Colorado. Mm -hmm. How'd you get there? And, uh, I mean, how did you out of, out of high school. I, was, you know, they were, I went to high school in Riverside, California. So my dad had moved out to Riverside. He said, hey, you know what? I can't let you go to high school here. You got to come on out and stay with me. Uh, so I went and did that. And then my coach, was he was awesome. He saw me and said, hey, if you do what I tell you, uh, you'll be able to earn a, a scholarship to college. And um, for me, I, I think one of the turning points was one summer, my high school coach, he took myself. I played cornerback, took the other defensive back. He was a corner as well. His name was Jerome Tyler. We were good friends in high school. And he took us one summer to a, a, a camp. It was mm -hmm. a passing camp, kind of. It was at Sid Gilman. He ran this camp oh, at wow. Point Loma College. Wow. And many of the coaches who were there were young coaches who studied at the feet of Sid Gilman. Um, so just for great those mind, listeners who don't understand, mind. Bill Walsh was one of the coaches who fell off the tree of Sid Gilman. Wow. So did Joe Gibbs, mm. um, Don Coriel. Mm. Some wow. of the great coaches you've seen come through this league had learned at the feet of Sid Gilman. But during that period of time when I was in the camp, my defensive back coach was a young guy who had attended at San Diego State. He was a coach there. His name was John Fox. Oh, wow. There was another coach wow. over there. Um, he had uh, attended at BYU. His name was Brian Billick. Oh, wow. Uh, there was another coach there who, had, who was coaching at the camp. His name was Sean Payton. Wow. These guys were all young wow. guys, and wow. I just remember them. And so then I ended up being recruited um, to go to college, and many of them came back and said, hey, I want you to come. And, you know, um, Brian Billick always teases me. He said, I was coaching at San Diego State. You wouldn't even let me through the front door. <laughs> and I said, Coach, it's okay, you know. And, uh, but I ended up signing to go to University of Colorado. Um, had a great life there. It was wonderful. Um, I picked the campus because it was far away from the things that I had known and had experienced growing up in Compton and was able to grow. Um, without um, any of the boundaries and the mindsets um, that really had, um, I think, crippled a lot of many of my friends who were better than I was even in athletics, but yet not able to escape some of the trappings of, of our surroundings. So it offered me an opportunity to grow, a free life of education, understanding, enlightenment, some of the things that we're all after. And uh, it was a period that changed my life. Mm. What did you think of Straight Outta Compton, the, uh, the the movie? Speaking since we're on it. It, it, were you, it were depicted. You're an the, were you an it, NWA fan? I will say this. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it, it depicted the times perfectly. 
It really did. I think it was done very accurately. And what it showed you, now this is, remember, in the 80s. This movie takes you back in time, and it shows us, we were talking about Colin Kaepernick and uh, you know the issues that he's standing up for. It really shows some of the problems in society where there's a disconnect between young people and, and, and law enforcement. Mm. Um, and they clearly went through it as young people. And young, you know, I, I remember being pulled over. I'm in Compton. I came home for, um, for Christmas break. And uh, I'm driving the car. I, my license had expired because my birthday's in October. I don't get, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I don't get my license renewed in, in the state of Colorado. I'm waiting until I come back home. I remember being pulled over. And I remember thinking, you better put your hands on the steering wheel. Right. You better not flinch. You better not move. You better say and do all the right things. But, you know, my, my dad, my parents had taught us how to, how to understand, you know, what we were dealing with. But I remember just talking to to the officer. He had asked me, he says, hey, your license is suspended. What's going on here? And I explained, hey, I just got home for Christmas break. I'm away, you know, in college during you know, my birthday when it expired. But I will be getting it taken care of. And he says, you know what? You seem like a good kid. Mm. He said, get this taken care of. And it was it was a right. it was a wonderful exchange. So <laughs> right. what I what I teach my kids today, Bill, and I am the father of two boys. And I told him, I said, listen, all really what officers want, when they pull you over, they don't know what they're dealing with. Exactly. So you fit a exactly. stereotype. That's right. And that's where their starting point is. But what your starting point has to be is with utmost respect. Exactly. Because your life is on the line. Right. You don't know it, but you're, you're it's critical right. how you handle it. And you've got to be proactive. Right. And so give the officer respect. I believe, and I, this is just what I believe, there are bad people on both sides of this issue now. Right. <laughs> okay, let's, let's be honest. And so, but I do believe that when you treat, when you meet and greet people with respect, it's, you know, I believe a lot in what Martin Luther King taught us, that love does conquer hate. Yep, that you can overcome hatred with love. And people, right. and there's no one that when you treat them with a great deal of respect and love, they kind of have to open up a little bit. They got to soften up a little bit. Right. Now, that's just how I was raised. So I, w I was fortunate to, to grow up under that kind of teaching, and I know it's made a difference in my life. All right. um, you know, speaking of love and football, we, we talked about, I was trying to talk about the game itself, mm -hmm. which we all really enjoy, but it is a very tough game. Is there a way, because, you know, that's sort of the, um, I've been in situations where, you know, people run, sections of newspaper they, their whole thing is going, we're going to get rid of the nfl i said well that ain't gonna happen it ain't going that ain't gonna happen <laughs> but, but people do it because they wanted that to be kind of like a the, headline right their thing and that's what i was known for but mm -hmm. that ain't gonna happen because yeah. uh, but but how do you um can the game be made safer because like i said what people love is the rock'em sock'em hard hits that kind of stuff mm -hmm. Can you can you make the game safer without kind of uh, you know kind of you know castrating the game? I, I will tell you this: I think a lot of the initiatives that the league has put forth, and it, this starts at youth football through high school through college, and now you're seeing it on the NFL. I I was very skeptical as to whether or not they could teach defensive players, defensive backs to take the head out of the game. Right. You know, we, I grew up in the days of watching Jack Tatum. Oh, <laughs> you know, there's like head hunters oh, on the defensive side of the ball, Dick Buckus. But I have seen right. it. I, I've seen concussions have come down. 
the number of hits on defenseless players right. have come down. You players have learned to move that target line down right. in a safer area. Right. Um, I, they have legislated safety into the game. I don't think our game is any less exciting as a result of it. In fact, I think right. it's ex- as exciting as it's always been, if not even more exciting the fans due to the passing game. And, yeah, the numbers show that we have more fan participation, more energy, and more excitement in our game. So um, I was skeptical, but I am telling you right now, I think the initiatives that the league has passed has worked. I, I think our game is safer. Um, and at the end of the day, Bill, you know, um, I'm in that age demographic now where I have a lot of former teammates, a lot of guys who have played, um, a lot of former players who are not doing so well. Mm. And when you see that, when you spend time with them, you see that they're not quite themselves, that there are some issues and that there are medical problems that the family and, the, and that these players are going to have to deal with, then you have to embrace mm. some of the changes that you're seeing implemented in our game today. So I think our game is going to always be exciting. I think it's going to always draw um, people that say, hey, we want to play. I know there is a movement, women, you know, mothers saying, we don't want our kids to play. Right. But here's the deal. As long as these salaries are what they are, <laughs> and as long as we've got people living in pockets of our society who are still hungry and driven to chase that American dream and achieve wealth, and not only that, in football, you know what else you get? You learn how to be a great leader. You learn how to be a great teammate. You learn how to work well with others. You learn how to overcome adversity. You talked about some of the things you experienced in college where Ken Burroughs were torching you. Mm. You learned how to overcome failure, didn't you? You you learn how to overcome that. Not that night. (laughs) Not that day. (laughs) But you you learned that it did not define Bill Rote. You found your place in society. You found a voice. And so that that really is what sports teaches us. And so the NFL and football, whether you're playing at the little league level, high school or college and professional level, all of those virtues are there to be taught, learned, and honed in the fire of adversity. Because you, you're going to get it handed to you on the football field. Absolutely. But it's better than being on that sideline and never experiencing those moments that offer you growth and development overall. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is, the game is what – you know, one of the things I think should happen, at the end of the day, the game is still the game. It's still a game of collision. Absolutely. And people – there could be some people who are prone, just genetically prone to develop – a lot of you know all right. time or whatever concussion concussion right. whatever. And we know that's the case because as you mentioned before people who never played a game made a tackle you know come down with this type of stuff yeah and so so what I was thinking should happen is that the and this is where I kind of fault the NFL and the Players Association that there there are billions of dollars being made I would love to say in fact Ron Johnson who was a, was a friend of mine is now is in a in a home and his wife Karen put it one of her initiatives she wanted to have a few homes built around the country that almost were specific to men who had played the game who have to be in these nursing homes at a relatively younger age. And that these places would, because the place where Ron was, he's like relatively a young guy. You know, the people are 80 and that kind of stuff. And and I think even, I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame is constructing one. But these homes around right. the country where if you develop, you'd be in this place with kind of like-minded sort of people, because like you're saying, you're still 
you may be fit physically and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but mentally. But mentally, and, and that's where the decline is. Yeah, yeah that, and so there's enough money. Let's talk about a multi-billion dollar industry mm. that you could finance. You could have these homes around the country, maybe five, six, I don't know the number. To me, I would love to see that. So he said, listen, we're signing a covenant here. When you come into this game, we know that you and I are signing a covenant. Mm. You're signing, you know that there's a hell of a chance that when you come out of this, you're going to need some help. At the we're going to give you that help. I, I here's here, and you you mentioned it. The NFL is currently building a home, a facility in Canton, Ohio, with yep. the Pro Football Hall of Fame, <clears throat> that will take care of players in those in those aging years or when they have fallen um, to some kind of illness or disease. They're they're building essentially a village for former players, a place where they can go and be with guys um, who they feel a kindred spirit with, who played in the National Football League. Um, and hopefully they'll have some of their memories left to be able to share um, some of those. And in some cases, um, they won't. Um, it, people should know that when you see players who are fined on Sundays, whether it's hit on defenseless players, whether it's conduct detrimental, or whatever, you see these players being fined. Everybody always asks, where does that money go? Right. Right. Did you know that that money goes into the funds that are created to help take care of former players? Mm. It goes toward former player benefits. Mm. And so many of these players <laughs> who are being fined today, they're going to come full circle one day because <laughs> every every single player in the NFL is soon to be a retired right. NFL player. Right. And that money's going to come full circle back to them. I don't think that's something that's talked about enough. Certainly there needs to be more education uh, on on some of these issues. But certainly the league is working to develop and building a uh, home for former players in conjunction with the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. That's great. That's great. There should yep. probably be more of them, but that's a great – that, that, I mean, that's what we're talking that's about. That's exactly we, what you were talking about. We're talking about, about yeah. there, there's a certain reality to all this stuff. I mean, if you, if you climb mountains, I mean, there, there's a sta I don't have the number. The, the number of people every year who are killed, you know, climbing mountains. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever you do outside your little comfort there's some zone. some inherent risk. Something's uh, going right? to happen. <laughs> and I think that when you, you can kind of pick on the NFL, and, and I'm not trying to diminish it, sure. but I think people have an agenda. And of course, this is for another telecast, but I always, I'm always aware of how do things affect black folks. Mm. And historically, the areas where black folks, particularly black men, dominate, there's this kind of knee-jerk thing in society to start attacking it. Whether it's to dismantle the, it, dismantle, to take it black apart. Black jockeys, wherever, wherever we dominate, it's almost, and I guess that's what racism is. There's this knee-jerk thing to begin to attack it. So I'm thinking, you know, whether it's, whether it's, we're like, what, 70-something, 67% of the NFL, the mm. NBA, and it's making money, but I think there's always this undergird of how do we kind of take care of this? You know, how do we take care of it? Well, let's make the game, let's make it so everybody can play. When I hear words like that, but everybody, like, oh, well, here we go. You know, because yeah. like you said, it, it got, football got to the point, man, how many places in society can young black men particularly wreak havoc legally? You know, yeah. not that many areas where you could just wreak havoc legally. You, can you certainly, it. yeah, you can't just go and hit someone upside the head and think there's not going to be some consequences. <laughs> and even in the National Football League now, you can't even hit somebody upside right. the head. Right. They're, they're we just talked about how they're legislating a lot Safety. of that we, kind of contact. Yeah. Out of the and game. it's working. When you, hey, anytime yeah. you penalize something, 
you know, bottom line for coaches is winning. So you, that's going to be taught. If you're penalizing, you hit above a certain area, you damn right it's going to be taught, you know, at lower levels because the bottom line for coaches is winning. So if you don't know how to do it, when you get to that level, it's not going to work. So you throw a flag on that, that'll change things in a hurry. Well, you know, I mean, and yeah, I don't mean to, to digress here, but you can't even take air out of football anymore. And <laughs> 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 we're getting guys out of it. What do you game. think about that? And we're getting guys. You know what I mean? It's just deflate. We're talking about deflate. I, yeah, a, I think it was take much on to do game. about nothing, unfortunately. Tom Brady is, is sort of was caught in. Just a, you know, this is, I think, a, a, the epitome of how a storm can blow across and take the lowest common denominator. As you well know, this is a this was a fight at a much higher level, <laughs> right. the league level, right. the ownership level, and filtered down. And at the end of the day, you know, and I think this is where it it doesn't. There's nothing racial about this. Is you're the you're the quarterback. We can't get the owner. We can't get the coach. We'll take your quarterback. We'll get you right. And it doesn't matter who he is. Right. He could be the best player in in the league. Um, and and it was Tom Brady. And that, and it's rather unfortunate. I think going back, I think if the league, I think the Patriots, I think if everyone could do it differently, I think they certainly would. Yeah. But it was a big story for the NFL. Still, people were still talking NFL all summer. But you know the, the NFL, they, you know, all publicity isn't good publicity. I, I think they would rather have not. Yeah, they could have done without the, this one. Yeah, they could have done without this one. Yeah. What, what about the kickoffs and, and talking about taking away the, the opening kickoff? Do you, do you agree or disagree with that? The studies show that there are more players injured on these plays in the return game, punt, punt return, kick, kick return, because people, the players are so much further apart, and then they start with running all at one another in a very archaic way. Right. I mean, this right. is well, Roman you, gladiator see, yeah, stuff. If you see, like, Game of Thrones. <laughs> exactly. You <laughs> might see, ah, and there you go. There you go. Right. So, you know, and as you take a look at the numbers and you see the injuries – you say, okay, now maybe we got to do something to clean this up. Maybe we say, hey, it's got to be one-on-one blocking. We've already taken the wedge out of it. Remember the wedge oh, play? And then there was that wedge buster. Right. They, they paid right. a guy to go run into four guys <laughs> from a 40-yard sprint, 40 yards away. Now, that, that tells you that right. there's no place in the game for that. And it, they did the right thing. They got it out of there. I think they're, they're I never moving. thought about it like that. They paid a guy. They paid a guy. <laughs> Who wants to be the wedge buster? Who wants to be the wedge buster? Now, listen, we already talked about it. As long as you have pockets of our society where people are finding it tough to to gain employment, you're always going to have someone say, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) They might be from that side of the tracks where I came from. I know a lot of guys say, I'll do it. Right. Right. You know? I guess that's my point, Sal. I mean, when I was talking about, I didn't finish my point about taking intimidation and courage out of the game as the major pillars. Because you've got people from the other side of the track who are like, and if you're like this middle, upper middle class, say, I can't, we can't compete with that. We can't, we can't compete with that because these kids, you know, we can't. So how do we take that out to allow our kids to be like, we mentioned, well, I'm not, I'm not going to mention the name. But how do we, because there's a segment of, of society who are getting these gigs, these jobs in football, basketball, they're not going to make that kind of money anywhere. And our kids are upper, upper middle class. They can't, they can't compete with that. So we, how do we take that out so our kids could also, but you've got to find some way to remove, either to remove those, those people from the game or make it so that that anger, intensity, craziness, we change the rules so that that doesn't manifest. I, I think when it comes to sports, particularly sports like, say boxing right sports like football right 
What I mean, it hurts. Right. You show up and you're going to play today. Right. There's a potential for danger. There's a potential for pain. Right. And at the end of the day, you're going to be hurting. Right. As long as though it, those – you can't totally take that out of football. You can't take that out of boxing. It ain't boxing if you take that out of boxing. Right. Exactly. It's not football if you take that out of football. With, I use those two sports because there's some inherent danger to, right. to be a participant. Right. You just know this. It could cost you, okay? Um, as long as you have those elements in sports, particularly in those, in those sports, there's going to be uh, a draw from the human population where people don't have a lot of options. So, in other words, if you go to the upper, higher level of social, economic um, demographic, some kid coming out of Harvard, he's got he's got options. Whether or not I'm gonna be a boxer or go work on Wall Street. Exactly. What, what, you, what you, which one you think he's gonna choose? <laughs> you know? Ryan Fitzpatrick. You understand what I'm saying? Right, right. Exactly. And but Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback. He, he, right. Exactly. So the quarterback <laughs> position, I'll sign up for that right. one. He's not a wedge but, buster. But I'm not gonna be the wedge buster. <laughs> I'm not playing defensive back. You get you get it. You see. <laughs> So there's always now as you go to the lower level of the social social economic ladder, a lot of people signing up now. That's right. I'll wedge bus. Mm-hmm. I'll be a defensive tackle. I'll be an offense. So there's always that's what we got to understand. There's going to always be a long line of people saying, "I'll do it. I'll do it. That's right. I'll do well, it even, even to what improve the say, their their standing in life." Right. Because guess what the NFL offers is opportunity. Exactly. Right. Opportunity to do what? What every American wants to do. Right. Change the the prospects of their future. That's, that's right. everyone who ever came here. I that's don't care right. how you got here. Right. That's right. That's why they came. That's right. Absolutely. And it's the American dream. The American and dream. And said, wait, I could do the American dream here? Yeah. Which is why this whole sports stuff has been compelling going back to the 19th century. Because even poor folks, whether it's being jockeys, I can now, by being, I can elevate my life doing this kind of stuff. There you go. And my, my question was, but even if we go back to, 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 to England in like the 18th century, 17, 18th century, sports used to be for, for wealthy people. Because only the wealthy people could afford the leisure time, the lessons. That, then it kind of devolved into like, well, we, you, you have the. You know why? Because the hungry guy was right. the poor guy. Right. The guy who pursues competing because, for survival is going to outperform the guy where it's optional. Exactly. Right. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Right. If, if, if you take that guy who came from the bottom, put him in the ring with a guy who says this is optional, when it starts right. to hurt, Right. When a few teeth are knocked out on that canvas, right. okay, that, that that other guy says, "Wait a minute, I don't have to put up with this. Exactly, I got, I, I don't have to be here." Right. The other guy, you can knock all his teeth out. He's still gonna get up when that bell <laughs> ring and come to the center <laughs> of the right. ring. Right. This is this is a matter of survival. It's about humanity. That's that's what we've all went from the time we got it. That's some of the involuntary stuff that that isn't optional. It's part of our DNA. Right. We we going all every single person gonna fight. To be better. That's right. And 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 in some ways, you could see society doesn't have great respect for someone who doesn't fight to be better. Right. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that in a lot of ways, if you're not willing to compete mm-hmm. to improve your standing in life, some of us tend to look down on on that because we kind of look at it as being unnatural. Right. Which is kind of gets us back. In fact, we're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back for our last little segment here. Uh, but it kind of gets back to Colin Kaepernick. Not just that, but the idea of what he says he's 
standing for or people who, whether it's Smith and Carlos saying, I'm standing for, I'm protesting for people who have no voice, mm-hmm. I'm protesting for people who have no power, um, you know, that kind of stuff, that that people will kill people who take stands, but you kind of, whether it's Ali, you know, people do the unpopular things as well, you got some heart to take on this because you know there's going to be something on the backside. That's right, that's yeah. right. But when we come back in just a minute, I want to talk football. I, I want to talk, well, let's start with Kaepernick. Is he going to start the season? Right. <laughs> you know, who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, I mean, you know, whatever. You know, we're going to talk a little football because this is every NFL season is like a great season. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's it's, right. It's, it's, it's Christmas is on its way right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Seriously. Right. Yeah, so we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Our guest is the great Simon Wilcox. He's the um, – uh, a tremendous analyst for CBS Sports, CBS Football, Sirius, and he's the ambassador for Huddle Up for new Alzheimer's treatments. And so uh, it's really been a fascinating conversation. Thank so, you it's very really much. Great. It's been great. It will be back in two seconds. Everybody, uh, back, Bill Road No Sports with uh, Jamal Murphy, co-host, good friend, and our special guest, Solomon Wilcots, who's the, uh, uh, who's the ambassador for Huddle Up for New Alzheimer's Treatments, and also a tremendous analyst for CBS Sports and Football and Sirius XM Radio. Hey, before we started, man, people are now kind of frothing at the mouth. Okay, we didn't sit and listen to this. But what about football? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> you, know, you know, again, I think, Jamal, you mentioned every – like it, new, it's like Christmas. That's right. We, we can't wait, like September 11th. Right. Right? I mean, we just can't wait for football. What do you think, man? I mean, you got uh, – there's so many storylines, obviously – uh, we could start with Colin Kaepernick. Is he going to be in San Francisco uh, when, when, at, at, at opening on opening day? That is a very good question because, as you well know, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this week Teddy Bridgewater goes down with a knee injury. Wow! Yeah, right. And that is sort of the first domino that could open the door for Colin Kaepernick to be dealt. Now, will the Minnesota Vikings want to make a deal for him? That remains to be seen. We also know that Tony Romo is also out um, for a considerable period of time. Will the Cowboys be interested? Mm. So, and, and now Mark Sanchez could be let go from the Denver Broncos. So, there's so many different scenarios that now I think there are some opportunities for Colin Kaepernick to get his wish, which he clearly said back uh, during the NFL scouting combine this spring, that he wanted to be traded. <laughs> he said he wanted out of don't San Francisco. In Absolutely, to this whole thing. I mean, yes. we're talking about the idealism and the you know, but practically, you know, you you've seen it when guys want to get out of there. They'll do just about anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> what, what happened to Kaepernick, though, playing-wise? Because it wasn't long ago, you know, that long ago where he was a very productive quarterback, and do you think he still has it in him? That's a very good question. I, listen, he was a very productive quarterback. Um, here was a guy that had well over 4,000 yards passing, um, 1,000 yards rushing coming out of college. He was that – he was prolific. Uh, you know, I saw him in a Sunday night game beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots at Gillette Stadium 
throwing four touchdown passes, brought his team from behind, took his team to the postseason three consecutive years. I know he shared some of that early time with Alex Smith, but he did take a team to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so what happens with young players? You know, we talk about players and player development, right place, right time, being planted in the right garden. I thought with that team, it was perfect for him because, A, he had a coach right. and Jim Harbaugh that coached around his skill set. Right. Didn't ask him to do things that he couldn't do and did play to a greater strength in terms of the run game and a great defense, which they had in San Francisco. All of a sudden, the management, what they did is they gave Colin Kaepernick this big contract. Now, the contract alone didn't unravel things for him, but what did was the expectations for how the ownership wanted to see him play. You know, when you pay a guy $18 million a year, you say, okay, now I want you to be Drew Brees. Right. Now I want you to be Tom Brady. Well, that's not who he is. Right. right. And if you expected him to be that, you should not have gave him that money. You, you really want to pay him to continue to grow and develop right. and be the guy he's always been and then maybe get a little bit better. Right. But then you take his coach away from him. The team, now there's a huge defection of players who saw that this team isn't imploding from inside. Most teams, when they go from being very good to being very poor, it's because, uh, you know, the locker room is, is just imploding or the, the players aren't getting along. Rarely is it done from the top down. <laughs> right. But they deconstructed a team by getting rid of the coach who gave that team its identity, right. its will, its drive, its sense of purpose. He was hard on the players, and the player responded by being hard on the opponent. Mm. Okay? <laughs> and, and what happened is all those things begin to come apart. Next thing you know, Colin Kaepernick is not asked to play the same way. He no longer has the same players around him. Great offensive line, defections via free agency. Now this offensive line isn't the same. Frank Gore is no longer behind him, a future Hall of Famer. That defense is gone. Patrick Willis is gone. Every single guy <laughs> at every level on that defense, guys started defecting and was taking off. They were leaving because they know when they're on a sinking ship. Mm. Colin Kaepernick asked to get off that sinking ship, but guess what? No, you can't go. <laughs> That's right. we, we gave you that money. You got to stay here. You got you to help man the ship. Right. Take well, swimming it, lessons. Well, it's not the same ship. That's right. Because they brought in Jim Tom Sula. We saw it wasn't the same ship, right. and and, uh, and he was asked to leave. Now, I do believe they, that Colin Kaepernick thought they were going to get Hugh Jackson as their next head coach. Oh, how great. They interviewed him, decided to take a pass, and made Chip Kelly. The head coach. Bill, as you well know, Tough players play. in this league, they talk. Right. When a new coach comes in, they get on the phone and say, how was he in Philadelphia? Right. Apparently, Colin Kaepernick didn't get a glowing report because <laughs> he asked to be traded. Immediately. Right. He asked to be traded immediately. So, you asked, why is he struggling? I think Kaepernick has to take some ownership for playing better. But I think also we have to recognize from 20,000 feet above, we can see that the landscape around him has changed and, and, significantly. And my question, I mean, he can still play. I, I mean, He can still play. I, mean, I would can, assume he so. He can still play. I think he can still play. Now, he may need to be transplanted into a different garden. He need, may need to have different coaches who are going to coach around, around his abilities right. that we've seen be successful in this league. Right. I always say that when you get a coach – this coach hadn't been successful in this league, but the player has. That's right. But we always want to blame the player, don't we? Look we? at Chip Kelly. I mean, it's almost <laughs> like I mean, this this kind of gets into sort of you know, but it is. But that I mean, is, yeah. I mean, Phil, I'm like, you know, as colleague, but wait a minute, are we looking at the same guy? I mean, this guy, you know, and but he he, he succeeds up. 
So he screws he up. Fails up. Yeah, he fails up. That's, that's yeah, he fails up. So okay, <laughs> well, he screwed up here. Now we're gonna make you head coach. And yeah. if that doesn't work out, he'll probably be at Tennessee. Right. You know, right. in about right. in about four years. Let, let me ask you something. So I'm really excited about uh, Kaepernick, and but then I guess San Francisco has to have dilemmas. They go, like, wait a minute, we get rid of this guy, and now he's going to end up in, you know, in in uh, Minnesota, or there are a few places where he might end up. That could be tremendous for him. There was a couple of teams that we do know had discussions with Colin Kaepernick this offseason and presumably wanted him. Cleveland Browns and Hugh Jackson, they had had discussions. John Elway and the Denver Broncos had had discussions. So That's a nice it, We know there's a market out there for him. Now, the, the key was what are we going to pay him? Are we going to pay $18 million or somewhere closer to 15 or 12 and I think, you know, Colin has to understand that he hadn't lived up to the 18. He has not played well. I think right, we've got to be right, clear right, with that. Right. But we do know there's a market for him in the NFL. And All I right. think get uh, if he's with the right coach, with the right team, that's going to tailor the offense to the players. Because that's what great coaches do. Right. Right. You're not going to see Bill Belichick ask Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> to do the same things Tom Brady's been doing for 15 seasons right. at the start of this year, right. in 2016, when Jimmy Garoppolo's on the center. He's just not. He's going to say, okay, here's what I – this kid can move now. Garoppolo's right. athletic. He can move around. You're going to see them use him to, 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 to that extent. You, you never saw them do that with Tom Brady. Right. Good coaching knows what players can and can't do, and you never ask a player to do something you know they can't right. do. What else intrigues you? What are the other two, maybe a couple storylines that intrigue you uh, uh, going into the season? Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, because mm-hmm. I think they are a team, you know, they finish red hot. And I'm a big fan of Mike Tomlin. I think he does a wonderful job. He, his players play hard for him. Yeah. Anytime you get a coach that knows how to tap into players and draw the best out of them, that's what Bill Parcells was. Mm-hmm. That's what Bill Belichick does. That's why they can win consistently. They, they have the finger on the pulse of their football team and see, seem to be able to get the most out of them. Right. And you saw at the end of last year, Pittsburgh Steelers is one of the best teams. Now, Vontez Burfitt didn't take out Le'Veon Bell, didn't take out Ben Roethlisberger, didn't take out Antonio Brown. Pittsburgh might beat uh, Denver in that championship right. game. They, I mean, that's how good Pittsburgh was humming. So now um, they've got to be able to get themselves right. Le'Veon Bell got to, you know, he's got to focus in terms of what's most important here, be able to stay in the lineup um, for for his football team. Ben Roethlisberger is the best player, best quarterback in what is a very tough division in the AFC North because Cincinnati Bengals are a real good team. Ravens, we know they're going to put up a fight. They they don't go away quietly. Uh, But I think the Pittsburgh Steelers is one of those teams you got to pay attention to because if they can get better defensively, we know Ben Roethlisberger is a gamer. He is on track for what we consider to be a Hall of Fame career. And I think uh, Antonio Brown is as good as any receiver in this league. Right. And Le'Veon Bell is capable of being a 1,000-yard rusher and a 1,000-yard receiver. He mm. is that good. Mm. And so Todd Haley's got himself a really good offense. Mike Tomlin um, can coach and drive that team deep into the playoffs. And with uh, the Patriots um, being without Tom Brady early, one might say it's going to be tough for them to get home field advantage. With Denver uh, making changes at the quarterback position, you know they're going to recede and fall back to the pack. So you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, but you also look at a team like Oakland and say how far can they climb because they seem to have something going on out there, and it'll be interesting to see if they can even come up as far as we think they can, and once they get there, can they compete? Right. I like their quarterback. Cle- oh, I'm sorry. What about Cleveland? 
Uh, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. Mm. Uh, I, I like Hugh Jackson a lot. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about RGT. Now I find myself, to me, in my mind, he's become a sympathetic figure now. Right. Has he has he tumbled? I mean, has he, you know, has he, did he get it? Does he get it? Does I think he, that's a good question. It? Does he get it? And what does get it? <laughs> get it is, here was a guy that won the Heisman Trophy um, over Andrew Luck. Here was a guy that was Offensive Rookie of the Year over Andrew Luck. The team and the town fell in love with him. That early su- success sort of seduced him and maybe right. even to believe in he was a little bit better than the reality of situation. Because right. when you came out of Baylor, remember, they don't have a pro-style offense. He wasn't asked to play in the pocket. He wasn't asked to do a lot of the things that you're asked to do at this level. And when he was asked to do those things, finally by Mike Shanahan with the Washington Redskins, he failed miserably. He did not perform well in the pocket. He didn't see blitz coverage very well, and he struggled. And then Kurt Cousins comes in, and he does do all those things well. Now he uh, takes this team to win a division title, and Robert had to leave town. I think Robert learned by watching – that he needs to get better, where he needs to get better. And he has a coach that has told him as much. Mm. Hugh Jackson has told him, this is where you got to get better. Mm. You have to slide on certain plays. You got to throw the ball away. You can't take sacks. You can't throw interceptions. And here is what we're going to teach you how to play offense and read the defense and be able to move the chains and play smart. And you could see there's been enough humility for him now to know where he has to listen, where he has to learn, and you're not the team, you're part of the team. I, right. I have seen that with him, and you could see it in the preseason where he has repeatedly made big plays in this offense, um, whether it's Terrell Pryor playing right. wide receiver, Josh Gordon in that, in that game, uh, the third preseason game against the Bucs, um, Gary Barnage, a Pro Bowl tight end, he's had big plays down the field. Um, and so Corey Coleman, they haven't even gotten the first-round pick going, but RG3 has been the most consistent part of anything that the Browns have done so far in the preseason. And last, maybe last, uh, the Carolina Panthers. What do you see from them this year? How does uh, Cam Newton come back from that MVP season and then the the unfortunate end for him of that season with the press conference and all that kind of stuff? They're the best team in the NFC. Wow. They, they, to me, they're wow. the best team in the UFC. He, he is the prototypical quarterback. He is a new age mm. quarterback. Mm. Quarterback of a new generation. This guy is 240 pounds, <laughs> right. Right. almost 6'6", six, six, right. running a 4'5", 40. I mean, when he when he do that thing, Superman thing, right. you know, he really That's is real. metaphorically <laughs> telling you something. Right. <laughs> he, he's bigger. Faster, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. How many right. times have you seen him go over the top and score? Right. How many quarterbacks can do that? That's the right. guy scored 50 touchdowns Combined, last right. year. Passing, mm-hmm. running. He is a one-man offensive show. He has the ball in his hands on every single play. That's right. He he jump starts their running game. He did this last year without any receivers. Right. Go ahead and take a look at it. How you get 50 touchdowns, you don't even have anybody to throw to. <laughs> he made but 10 a tight end, because I'll give Greg yeah, Olson yeah, here. Yeah, right. He had a tight end. Right. He but outside end. of that, he, right. he making it happen. Right. Just right. making it. Now, so where he has to grow is maturity. He's got to be able to handle. I think you got to start dancing. I think, oh, yeah. I think we're probably, we probably seen the end of the dance. He's just got to be more that. mature. You know, if you're going to be a leader, man, you've got to. And really, okay, lead, lead for his team, but lead for the kids too. You know, you can't ask kids to look up to you and then you start doing things and, and say, well, now I'm not a role model. Cam's never said that. I think he does understand his place. Right. But we've seen him have, have to grow right. over the years. And I think 
we saw in a game last year in that Super Bowl, uh, the offensive line couldn't protect him. They couldn't keep Von Miller off of him. He fumbles the ball. His unwillingness to give up life and limb to go get that ball, he told me he wasn't ready to be a champion. Wow. It's just plain simple as that. Wow. Now, that's where he's got to grow. Now, we can point to all these other areas and have it be hyperbole, but the eye in the sky don't lie. If you're the last one with the ball and you fumbled the ball and you see the ball on the ground, whose responsibility is it to get that ball? See, but Solomon, see he was thinking the same thing you thought when it was time to retire. He, said, <laughs> he, you made, know, he made a business decision. Said, yeah, he said, you know, I, in, in a split second, he sure all did. this shit kind of came in. Yes, and right. he said, I'm opting out. See, he opted out. <laughs> and that's what leadership's about. You don't get to opt out. You the, you the lead. If you listen, I always say you can't lead from the back. That's right. You got to lead from the front. Right. Well, you, you got to shepherd. Now, biblically, you, the shepherd, the shepherd often leads from the back. Sometimes, right? The shepherd, the good shepherd. Sometimes you have not to- when that wolf comes. <laughs> when that wolf see times of adversity, you can't be in the back. Right, right. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Right, right. When it, so when you put that ball on the ground, it was no one else's responsibility to get that ball for Cam Newton. Right, right. It was his responsibility. He should have done. He should have done. He should get, go he get should, that ball. He should have done. Because there, you drop every it. every single coach teach every offensive player. You carry with us with you. That ball represents our hopes and our dreams. <laughs> right. <laughs> you fumble this ball. You intercept this ball. You throw interception. Is you. You, you're dashing our hopes and dreams <laughs> upon the rocks. Every coach, Mike Tomlin to tell you now, he that's what he teaches his quarterback. All the great coaches teach their quarterback. Protect this football because you carry with it an entire organization. <laughs> you throw it to the other team, we coming home a loser. You put it on the ground, we're coming home a loser. Right. That's where he has to improve his game. <laughs> um, now, just because of these two, I don't know, Jets fans here, there's a reason why we didn't mention – any New York teams, you know, but just just for the hell of it, just just to okay. humor them. So yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just give us a little couple seconds on the Jets. I'm, con- I'm concerned the about the Giants' offensive line. I'm concerned. Uh, you know, here's the thing: Tom Coughlin let go. Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls. Tom Coughlin, we know what we get. Right. He was a guy that he held his players accountable, and by the end of the year, the Giants were playing very well. That offense was lighting it up. Typically, when you have coaches like that leave, um, their energy survives at least maybe one more year. Hmm. And then sooner or later, the new coach has to infuse his personality onto that team and into that locker room. Tom Coughlin was the bedrock of something good that we knew was of championship pedigree. Because it goes back to even Bill Parcells and the Bill Belichick. He beat he beat Bel- Belichick and Brady in two Super Bowls. That's right. That's, right. That, that's all you got to know. Right. To, to, to say, well, that's the right stuff, right? Right. right. Now, is Ben McAdoo has the right stuff? We don't know. We don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a huge test because defensively they are lacking in terms mm. of personnel. I know they went out and spent a lot of money, but they're still lacking. Offensive line, I'm still concerned. But I, I do believe this offense can put some points on the board. Um, but they're in a very they're in a very tough division. Um, the Jets, I think, are a really good football team. Hmm. I, I really do. I, I think Todd Bowles is a really good coach who knows defense. Um, Darren Lee, the first round pick from Ohio State. This guy is an athletic linebacker, and I think it's going to be fun to watch the way that Todd Bowles uses him because you're in a division. Um, the Jets are against two tight ends that are very prolific. 
you got to be able to put a linebacker that's athletic and Darren Lee can run with a Rob Gronkowski. Mm. He can't. Now, whether or not he's going to come down with it <laughs> when, right, right, when that right. ball arrives, because right. Gronk know how to contest for the ball. Right. But Darren Lee going to be in his hip pocket. Mm. Um, you have uh, you have Martellus Bennett, who, who's also with the Patriots, another tight end that's very prolific and capable of making plays. Charles Clay with the Buffalo Bills, another tight end that's capable, as athletic, really good at making plays. Defensively, the Jets, we know, have a great defense. But to me, you got to be able to match up with athletic tight ends in the NFL because they have a really good secondary. But you can't waste your secondary members by putting them on, on right. Gronkowski. That's going to be the job of, of Darren Lee. I already believe the wide receivers, whether it's Decker, whether it's Brandon Marshall, with Fitzy, they're going to make some plays now. They really are going to make some plays. I love Matt Forte in the backfield. Right, right. He can run it. He can catch it. I, I feel really good about the Jets. Um, to me, is can you beat the Patriots? That's all you can even talk about. Every year. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. First, they won 10 games, games last baby. year. They won 10 games last year, didn't get in, right? That's right. right. So there right. you go. That's where they're at. That's right. Hey, that's, I that's, guess that's the role. That's the call right there. Huh? That's the call. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, I just yeah. want to say one oh, yeah, yeah, real yeah, quick because yeah. I know we got to get going. I yeah. want to thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Um, for coming. It allows me to be able to promote our, our worthy cause, our. Huddle up for new Alzheimer's treatment campaign, which again we we started and begin to promote back at Super Bowl Fifty in San Francisco. We continue um, to heighten the awareness for the need to participate in clinical studies. And for anyone who wants to know more about the mindset study and how they can participate, all they need to do is log on to the website www.alzheimersglobalstudy.com. That's www alzheimersglobalstudy.com and we want to thank you guys for allowing us to share with you oh, today. Man, sounds, this is great man this has really been really been wonderful if anybody has never heard you before and they've heard this your analysis they know why we love you oh, I appreciate it great absolutely appreciate it, our guest has been Solomon Wilcott he's uh, a hall of fame to be NFL broadcaster for CBS uh, Sirius NFL radio he's also the ambassador for the huddle up for new Alzheimer's treatments, and uh, take this seriously because this all this is very seriously. It doesn't have anything to do, let's say, with football concussions. It just has to do with awful disease. Our overall it's, it's, cognitive health. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Simon, thank you very much. Uh, Jamal, thank you very much. Thanks, Jamal. Thank you, Kevin. I think we'll thank you on the back end when we hear this. Uh, I also want to thank David Shaw, uh, who actually brought us together uh, about this important issue. So David, thank you very much for trekking all the way up here on the one train in the sweltering heat. There's nothing hotter than the subway in New York in <laughs> August. Man, I mean, with the rats even. You see the rats, man. They, they say, oh, brother, this is just too much. <laughs> anyway, hey everybody, thank you very much. God bless and we'll see you next week. Bill Roden on Sports. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.